everyone, and welcome to the Metropolitan Opera Guild podcast coming at you from Lincoln Center here in New York City. I'm Naomi Baratera, your host, and thank you for taking the time to listen today. The goal of our podcast is to help our listeners expand their opera knowledge, and to do this we draw from a lot of the live events that we run here at the Guild, including classes and pre-performance lectures throughout the season. For today's program, episode 5, I am excited to be back behind the podium, so to speak, as the lecturer of the day, and our topic for today is drawn from our very popular Opera Boot Camp series. Opera Boot Camp has been happening at the Guild for many years now, and one of the most popular class topics is operatic voice types. And since we cannot cover all the voice types in one episode, today we will be specifically delving into the world of sopranos. We have quite a bit to get through with a full roster of fabulous examples for you, featuring a wide range of singers and some really beautiful music. So let's just dive right in. The operatic genre has a rich and varied history. There are many, many different kinds of operas, and each operatic role makes different demands on a voice depending on the style that was in vogue at the time the opera was composed, as well as the specific vocal sound the composer was after when he was crafting the role. Opera has been around since the beginning of the 1600s, which means the canonic opera repertoire we have today is comprised of over 400 years of different styles and musical tastes coming from countries all over Europe and Russia and North America, so there really is a wide spectrum of voice types that one can find in the world of opera, and we need this kind of variety in order to cast a performance with a roster of singers that are best suited to the specific roles and demands of each work. Think of operatic voice types like the sport of gymnastics. In gymnastics, there are many different types of events. Tumbling, parallel bars, uneven bars, rings, vaulting, acrobatics, trampoline, the balance beam, the list goes on. But each gymnast does not compete or train in every single kind of event. They tend to specialize in one or two events that best suit the strengths of their own body. Or you can think of voice categorization in opera much like wine tasting. We can have different types of wines, like Chardonnay, Merlot, Riesling, etc., but within those larger types of wines, there are also several factors that affect the unique quality of each type. Climate conditions, soil, geographical areas of vineyards, types of grapes, temperature, all of these factors give each individual wine a subtle and unique flavor profile that is all its own. The same idea can apply to opera singing. We have larger categories that help define major differences or factors between types of voices, but within those large categories, there are other elements that create subcategories, and in the end, each individual voice really has its own set of strengths and unique characteristics that lend itself to certain types of roles. In the opera world, the categorization of voice types is often referred to as Fach. This is a German term literally meaning compartment or subject. The Fach system is a method of classifying singers according to the range of the voice, or in Italian we use the word tessitura, the weight of the voice, and the color or timbre of the voice. 
As mentioned in the intro, we are not going to delve into the intricacies of every single operatic voice type in the Fox system in one episode. We are going to focus our attention solely on female voices and really zeroing in on the soprano categories, so we're going to save the mezzo-sopranos and all of the men for future episodes. We may not get to every single voice category that exists, but we are going to try and cover the most common voice types that we hear and see on the stage today. And in doing so, we are going to hear a number of great singers, we're going to discuss what makes each singer a good fit for the roles that we're going to hear them singing, and in some cases, we're going to hear multiple recordings featuring the same singer to show you how a singer can fit into more than one category or more than one fach at the same time, or more than one fach throughout their career. So just a few basic things to note right off the bat. Sopranos are the highest pitch or vocal range of all operatic singers, and within the category of soprano, there are several subcategories, and it's important to note that we have a whole roster of terminologies for the subcategories that are part of the German Fach system, but there are also many other terms that are used because this system has been translated into other languages like Italian, and also there's many English equivalents or English translations of the original German terms. So I'm going to try my best to give indications when there are multiple terms that refer to the same category or when there are slight differences from one terminology to the other. So the first category we're going to look at is the coloratura soprano. And in this category, if I could pick two words that are used all the time to describe a coloratura, it is lightness and flexibility. Within this category, there are actually two different types of coloratura sopranos in the Fach system, a lyric coloratura and a dramatic coloratura. Both types of coloratura singing demand a great amount of flexibility in the highest range, and the coloratura repertoire is full of fast-moving musical passages. Think of the coloratura soprano like a gymnastics floor routine, filled with incredible flips, turns, acrobatics, and most of all, flexibility. Now you may ask, what is the difference between a lyric coloratura and a dramatic coloratura? And mostly it has to do with the timbre of the voice and the types of characters a lyric soprano would sing versus a dramatic coloratura soprano. Lyric sopranos tend to have a brighter timbre to the voice, and usually they need to be exceptional actresses because they are playing characters with big personalities, for example, Zerbinetta in Ariadne of Naxos. In contrast to this, a dramatic coloratura role requires voices that have the range and flexibility of a lyric soprano, but can also sustain a noble sound and are more capable of dramatic outbursts. Dramatic coloratura characters are usually sophisticated, refined, noble, highborn, or royal in some way. Think of The Queen of the Night from Die Zauberflöte, or Violetta in La Traviata, or Fiordeligi in Così Fan Tutte. All of these roles can be considered coloratura soprano roles within the dramatic category. 
Both types of coloratura sopranos are often lumped together into one large category, and there are many singers who have performed roles from both of these subcategories. An excellent example of this type of singer is Deanna Damrau. Now, her Queen of the Night is one of my absolute favorite interpretations of the role. She sings it so well with laser-like precision in her pitch. But like many singers that have lived for a time in this vocal category, it's not a role that she continues to sing. She actually retired the role in the mid-2000s because it is just incredibly taxing on the voice, and this is not a role that you ever see sopranos singing for 30-year stretches. They usually sing this role for a short amount of time, and oftentimes towards the beginning of their careers. However, there are other coloratura soprano roles that Deanna Damrau still sings as a big part of her repertoire and sings all over the world today, such as Gilda in Rigoletto, often considered a lyric coloratura role, or Lucia in Lucia di Lamamor, or Elvira in I Puritani, both widely considered dramatic coloratura roles. And there are many legendary singers who have had big success singing various lyric or dramatic coloratura roles. People like Beverly Sills or Joan Sutherland, Lily Pons or Kathleen Battle. But all of these women did not limit their singing careers only to coloratura repertoire, and they did not sing every single coloratura role that was ever written, because each and every operatic role has a unique and individual demand that it makes on the singer, and every singer's voice has individual strengths and qualities that they bring to the role. So all of opera casting really comes down to fitting voices to roles and roles to voices in ways that complement each other. Sometimes we find singers that fit very neatly into a set amount of categories, and then sometimes there are singers who completely defy any kind of categorization. But I'm digressing a little. Let's get back to coloratura sopranos. We really need to hear some singing so you can really hear what a coloratura soprano sounds like. Our first example is Diana Damrau singing the famous Queen of the Night aria. So listen for flexibility, listen for those fast-moving passages of singing, but also the incredible precision of pitch that she brings to the highest registers, along with intensity and drama. Schmerzen, so bist du 
just as a contrast to what we just heard, this is the same singer, Diana Damrau, singing a very different role. This is Gilda from Rigoletto, the famous aria Caro Nome, in which flexibility and a wide range is needed, but there is also a delicate, angelic quality that she brings to it, a very different temperament to the Queen of the Night. Our next category is the Lyric Soprano, or in German, the Lyrische Sopran. Lyric Sopranos are known for creating long, legato, smooth and connected vocal lines. Lyric Sopranos need to exercise an immense amount of control over the voice to keep the sound incredibly connected, but also light and sweet in quality. It can't be too heavy, and every moment needs to have a grace of motion. For this vocal category, the physical look of the soprano is also fairly important, as the types of characters we find in this category are usually the sweethearts of opera. Some people even call this the girlfriend category, because we have characters that the heroes instantly fall in love with, and so the audience needs to instantly fall in love with them as well. In a similar way that coloratura sopranos are broken down even further into subcategories, the lyric soprano category can be broken down into light lyric sopranos and full lyric sopranos. 
Light lyric soprano roles include Pamina in Die Zauberflöte, Antonia in Le Conte Hoffmann, the Countess in Le Nozze di Figaro, or the title role of Manon. Whereas full lyric soprano roles are more along the lines of Mimi in La Boheme, the title role of Rusalka, Liu in Turandot, Tatiana in Eugene Onegin, or Michaela in Carmen. Because the full lyric soprano is very close to the spinto category, many of the roles I listed are considered by some to be more spinto in quality than they are lyric. But for our example, we're going to hear a lyric soprano role that is considered the quintessential example of a lyric voice. This is a classic role of the category Pamina from Die Zauberflöte. Listen for the ability of our singer to sustain a long, beautiful line, but still with a lightness and with a grace and fluidity that matches the soft personality of the character. Our singer is Dorotheo Rochman performing Achichfus, and this is from the Paris Opera in 2001. And now as an example of a different lyric soprano excerpt, this is one of my favorite arias, the Song to the Moon from Dvorak's Rusalka, and our singer that we're going to hear is Renee Fleming. And just an interesting note, Renee Fleming has a very special connection to this role. It's a role that she has sung throughout her career. There's a great broadcast of her from the Met singing this role in 1997. And she also sang the most recent Live in HD broadcast of the opera in 2014. And so she really has become a quintessential example of a lyric soprano singer paired with this particular role. So this is Renee Fleming singing at the Met in the HD broadcast in 2014.
Moving on to our next category, the soubrette soprano needs to be both a fantastic singer and a fantastic actress, as a defining feature of this kind of role is that there's often a lot of dialogue or recitative, which requires impeccable acting skills to pull off. In terms of the type of voice we are looking for in this category, the timbre needs to have a kind of supple quality, meaning that the voice needs to be agile and malleable, but also with a sense of substance. The characters that we find in the soubrette category are full of spunk. They are tenacious, smart, daring characters, often described as coy, who are usually from the middle to lower class of society. Therefore, they are not restrained by the social anxiety of being too proper or noble. Soubrettes usually play supporting roles such as sisters, maids, or friends of the leading lady, and as a result, they are usually adventurous and they are experienced women who know more than meets the eye. There is a parallel stock character in the theatrical tradition where soubrette characters are often described as girlish, coquettish, and very mischievous. In opera, the soubrette character usually has music that reflects these personality qualities. There is often a sassiness to the music, a bold quality to the melodies and arias that requires a voice with enough personality to match. Think of Loretta from Puccini's Gianni Schicchi, or the super-sassy Serpetta from one of Mozart's earlier operas, La Finta Giardiniera. Similar to a coloratura soprano, the voice needs to be flexible and agile, but it doesn't need to reach the same stratosphere of pitch like the coloratura soprano, because the music written for soubrette roles is usually fairly limited, it rarely reaches into the highest parts of the voice. But she does need to be present and strong enough in volume that she can hold her own in a larger ensemble. Now the only exception to this kind of limited range aspect of the soubrette repertoire is that in some cases soubrette roles are also cross-listed as coloratura roles because they share many of the necessary vocal qualities of a soubrette singer but also the extreme pitch that we might find in a coloratura repertoire. An excellent example of this is really Zerbinetta from Ariadne auf Naxos. So to hear how all of this personality and vocal flexibility comes together, we really need to listen to some examples. So first we have Danielle Denise, a singer who really has made a mark on the opera world in her interpretation of soubrette roles, and this is from a 2009 recording of Così van tutte, and she's singing Una donna in quindici anni, the role of Despina. Thank you. 
And now as a second example of a soubrette role, this is Kathleen Battle, and she is singing the role of Zerbinetta in Strauss's Ariadne of Naxos. This is from the Metropolitan Opera with James Levine conducting in 1988. And this, remember, is the example that really reflects a soubrette personality mixed with the demands in range of a coloratura soprano. Now we move on into one of the most beloved soprano voice categories, the spinto soprano, or as is commonly said in Italian, the lirico spinto. 
The word spinto literally means pushed because a spinto soprano needs to be able to push the voice to very dramatic climaxes, but also maintain the ability to pull the voice back into these incredible diminuendos and float seamlessly between the middle and high register of the voice. Another quality of the spinto soprano voice that is often discussed is the need for a metallic quality with the ability to slice through the orchestra. In Italian, we call this squillo. Combine the squillo with the ability to sustain a long, powerful line, great control over dynamic volume, and flawless execution of dramatic intensity, and you have the spinto sound. And all of these qualities contribute to making the size of the spinto voice a little bit heavier than a lyric soprano, but not quite as heavy as a dramatic soprano. This middle ground type of weight and the element of squillo gives the voice the power needed to pierce through the orchestral texture and be heard by the audience, instead of singing over top of the orchestra without becoming tired or strained. Spinto sopranos need to be able to perform with great poise, even while moving through drastic dynamic changes, as they play some extremely complex, noble, and powerful characters. Although there are many spinto soprano roles in the German repertoire, we most commonly associate the term spinto soprano with the music of Puccini and the Verismo era, and the music of Verdi. And because the spinto soprano lives in between the lyric and dramatic categories, we sometimes see singers start as lyric sopranos and then mature into the spinto repertoire throughout their career. Or similarly, some sopranos that specialize in spinto repertoire can also make the move into more dramatic roles, depending on how the voice develops. A few examples of spinto soprano roles include Butterfly or Chochozan from Puccini's Madama Butterfly, the title role of Puccini's Tosca, Desdemona from Verdi's Otello, Tatiana from Tchaikovsky's Eugene Onegin, and Neda in Leon Cavallo's Pagliacci. And there really are some legendary singers who have made their mark on the opera world through spinto soprano roles, such as Renata Tibaldi, who is often cited as the quintessential example of a spinto soprano voice. Another legendary singer that is often cited as an excellent example of the spinto soprano voice is Leontine Price, so we're going to start our excerpts of listening with her performance of O Patria Mia from Verdi's Aida, and this is an excerpt from a recording made in 1971 with Eric Leinsdorf conducting the London Symphony Orchestra. Really listen for that squealo quality in her voice, the metallic edge that slices through the orchestral texture. Also listen for those intense dramatic high points that she brings to the aria, as well as her ability to pull the voice back when needed to give a huge range of expression and musicality.
And now as our second example, we are going to hear Anna Trebko, but before we hear her in a spinto role, first I want you to hear her singing a lyric coloratura role. This is Adina from La Lazire d'Amore. This excerpt from La Lazire was recorded in 2005, and it is an incredible performance with a lightness and youthful quality, with beautiful connection and amazing flexibility in those top notes. But after we hear this, we're going to listen to her singing part of Tatiana's letter scene in Eugene Onyagin, recorded live at the Met in 2013. So you can hear the same voice, the same singer, but first in a lighter role, and then in a heavier role that is more squarely within Spinto territory, which she performed and recorded eight years apart, these two roles. So first, starting with Netrebko singing Adina from La Lazire, and this is technically or most often considered a lyric coloratura soprano role, and this was recorded in 2005.
And now we're going to listen to an excerpt of Tatiana's letter scene from Eugene Onyagin. Again, this is Anna Netrebko singing at the Met in 2013, and this is an excellent example of how a singer's voice evolves over the course of the career. We still get that beautiful, rich timbre that we all love, but her voice is a little bit bigger, a little bit rounder, a little bit heavier, and it really needs to be in order to execute the dramatic singing that is called for in this role. The last soprano voice category we are going to discuss is the dramatic soprano, and this can be the most confusing category to read about or talk about because the terminology can become rather muddled. So to start with, in North America, we tend to use the term dramatic soprano as an umbrella term for all of the heavy, most taxing roles in the soprano repertoire, regardless of where they come from. But to help clarify things, I think an easy way to conceptualize all the different types of dramatic soprano roles is to first divide the roles into two dominant operatic traditions, the German operatic tradition and the Italian operatic tradition. Italian dramatic soprano roles include several Verdi roles, such as the title role of Aida, Amelia from Unbalo in Mascara, Abigaila from Nabucco, and there are also other roles by several other composers, such as Santuzza from Cavalleria Rusticana or Chochozan or Butterfly from Madama Butterfly that we would also put into this category. And many of these roles can be considered part of the Lirico Spinto voice category as well. There are many people that would argue that several of the roles I just mentioned are more Lirico Spinto than they are dramatic soprano especially roles like Aida or Butterfly, so they can be viewed as belonging to one or the other or both categories, and there are singers that would definitely describe themselves as spinto sopranos that have sung these roles with great success, and then there are singers who would definitely identify as dramatic sopranos who have also sung these roles with great success. 
so many Italian dramatic soprano roles can be viewed as belonging to both categories depending on what type of voice is desired. Now in the German operatic repertoire, the Fach system divides dramatic soprano roles into three main categories, the Jungliche Dramatische Sopran, referring to a more lyrical dramatic soprano, the Dramatische Sopran, referring to straight-up dramatic soprano roles, and the Hochdramatische Sopran, referring to the heaviest of all dramatic roles. We are not going to delve into all the differences between these three categories, but within their ranks you will find roles such as Brunhilde in the Ring Cycle, the title role of Elektra, Ariadne in Ariadne auf Naxos, Elsa in Tannhäuser, Leonora in Fidelio, and Isolde in Tristan und Isolde. And then, sort of in a category all on its own, there is the role of Turandot, which is definitely a dramatic soprano role, but it is considered one of the heaviest in the repertoire, requiring a voice with immense power in the high register, but also a metallic, cold edge that cuts like a knife. And a lot of singers that make their bread and butter singing Wagnerian roles often have great success singing Turandot because it requires a similar level of intensity and weight. But no matter how you slice it, any dramatic soprano role requires a voice with heft, weight, and power to get out over a large orchestra. In the Romantic era, we see orchestras rapidly increasing in size, and as composers start adding more and more instruments to the mix, for example, think of how Wagner expanded the brass section quite significantly, voices needed to produce more power to become bigger simply in order to be heard. The dramatic soprano utilizes her incredible strength and immense control to get out over the orchestra and get her sound to the back of the audience. So to really bring some of these concepts to life, I think we really need to hear some examples of dramatic soprano singing. So this first excerpt is Vautred Meyer singing the Liebestode from Tristan und Isolde, and the role of Isolde is one of the biggest, most dramatic roles in the soprano repertoire, and this particular moment, the Liebestode, is an incredibly big sing for the soprano. She has to start fairly low in her register, and you'll hear how she has to climb and climb and climb in pitch and also increase in volume, so much so with the orchestra, that you really need an intense amount of heft and weight and sound, just literal sheer size of the sound, in order to get out over top of the orchestra and be heard.
Now, our next example features a singer who has been on the Met stage quite a bit lately. This is the amazing Eva Maria Westbrook. She is singing the role of Zieglinda from Die Velkure, and this is from Wagner's Ring Cycle, opera number two, and this is recorded at the Met in the 2010-2011 season. And with Ava Maria Westbrook, we really have a singer that brings a huge voice to the stage, immense size, but also has this incredible beauty to the voice. Critics often use words like ravishing, vitality, brimming with exuberance when they write about or talk about Westbrook's voice. And so this really is a good example of how we can have a really big sound in the soprano repertoire, but also an incredible beauty that just is electrifying and excites people when they hear it. And now to give you an idea or a taste of a role that is also in the dramatic soprano repertoire squarely within the German tradition, but not by Wagner, we have Hildegard Behrens singing the role of Elektra in the opera Elektra. And in this particular moment, really listen for the huge sound of the orchestra, almost violent sounding orchestra that we have going on underneath her. But there is still this incredible, expression in Baron's voice. She's not yelling, she's not screaming, but she has this big round sound and there is both sadness and melancholy and mourning that we hear in the voice as she cries for her father, Agamemnon, Agamemnon. But then the intensity grows and grows and grows and as the orchestra grows, the voice grows as well. So there's always a nice balance between the two. And this was recorded at the Met in 1994.
Finally, our last example looks at that anomaly role, the role that is kind of in a subcategory all on its own, and that is the title role of Puccini's Turandot. The singer we are going to hear is Birgit Nilsson singing in Questa Regia, and just an interesting note about Nilsson's voice. Everyone who heard Nilsson sing live, and Nilsson herself, said that recording technology could never really capture the true essence of her voice. Her voice was too big, too round, too complex, too rich in all of the colors and all of the depth of the sound that everyone says that you could never really get the true essence of her if you never heard her sing live. And so just keep in mind as you're listening that the recorded history of Nilsson that we have already throws us over. It's completely overwhelming in just how big and beautiful and rich that sound is. So it must have been absolutely incredible to experience in person.
Thank you so much for listening to today's episode all about Sopranos. I know we whipped through a lot of terminology and examples, but hopefully I have given you many new things to listen for and to think about as you continue exploring this wonderful art form. Be sure to look out for the remaining voice types as they come up in future episodes. We have mezzo-sopranos, tenors, baritones, and basses all on the docket. But next week, we are excited to bring you an in-depth look at Lulu with a lecture presented by maestro Stephen Osgood as we prepare for the live in HD broadcast of the Met's new production on November 21st, 2015. As always, make sure you subscribe to the Met Opera Guild podcast in iTunes to be certain that you receive new episodes as soon as they are available. And if you have a moment, please take the time to leave us a review as it will help us reach a wider audience with our opera content. I'm Naomi Baratera, your host. Thanks again for listening, and we look forward to having you back for future episodes.